If you have your Bible, open up to Jonah chapter 1. <clears throat> While you're turning there, I want to read, just playing that song, I just come to my mind, I want to read a text that I got this week. Y'all remember uh, Chris and Amy Wright, an elderly couple that joined, been about a month ago, she had multiple cancer and we got her up here and prayed for her, we got her in tears. <clears throat> they hadn't been back because she's going through treatments and stuff and I know I know y'all been praying for her. Says uh, I texted her and I just told her I loved her and was praying for her and needed to know how she's doing. She said, "Oh, Randall, great news! Glory be to God for all His grace in each prayer. From all the prayer warriors on my behalf, the treatment is working. The hip bone tumors are gone. <laughs> the liver massive tumor shrunk from 23 to 12. Number five rib tumors gone." Lung, lung 100 plus nodules are gone and the mass showing signs of shrinkage. So, uh, praise the Lord. It's good. It's good stuff. Oh, man. Alright, let me get, get where I'm going. You know, I don't, I don't, uh, usually get involved with the, with the worship. I don't know what music or what what songs they're going to play or anything like that. Just leave that to them and the Lord. And man, while they were sitting there playing today, I was like, God so orchestrates things, it blows me away. You know, I've been wrestling with a message. Uh, all, I've been wrestling a lot, but I've been wrestling with a message all week and uh, went to bed last night still thinking about it. And I woke up this morning and thought, that's not it. That's, that is not where we're going. And and uh I went back to let me find I gotta go through the books of the Bible. Psalm Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentation, Eagles, Daniel, Zed, Joel, my Amos, Obadiah, Jonah. Here we are. Okay. Um, anyhow. And I've been I've been reading in Jonah. There we go. I got stuff going on my head. Anyhow, so I've been studying in Jonah for myself, and I got up and uh, this early this morning I started praying and and uh, um, so I just got out Jonah again. I thought, Lord, what's Jonah got to do with our church? <clears throat> maybe a lot, but maybe I'm just preaching to me this morning. So um, went along perfectly with the worship. Jonah chapter one. You remember a couple of weeks ago, I preached a message on God's greater plan or God's greater purpose for your life. And God absolutely has a greater plan. We just decide whether or not we want to be a part of that plan. Uh, the awesome thing is God saves us. And God's purpose in that leaving us here once we're saved is to equip us and to mold us into what the Bible calls vessels of grace. Vessels of grace. Understand that you and I can't cause anything. We can't accomplish anything. We can't change anything by ourselves. You know, the, the Bible teaches that clearly Jesus talked about him in John chapter 15. He is the vine. We are the branches. Abide in him. If we don't abide in him, he abide in us. We can do nothing. And so a vessel is just simply, uh, it doesn't have to be pretty. Doesn't have to be, you know, glorious or all that. A vessel can just be, here's what we are. We're vessels of clay. It's not about who we are. It's about who's inside of us. And God 
fills you with his glory, with his grace, with his love through his spirit. And God wants to fill your life because God wants to use your life. It's an amazing honor to be involved in God's plan. And here's the sad part. A majority of people, God's people, probably ignore or avoid or even run from God's calling in your life. Now, I want to I start this off on the right table. <clears throat> um, because when I was growing up as a kid, most of the time when I heard the book of Jonah preached, it was related to somebody running from a call from the ministry. Okay, preacher, some, you know, God's calling you to preach, you run. Or, or God's calling you to the mission field, you run. Understand, God's called. If he saved you, he's got a calling in your life Period. It's not about going to seminary and being a pastor or going overseas to be a missionary. If that's what God's calling you to do, then then answer that call. But the call is to every single person who has ever trusted in Jesus as your Savior. God wants to use you in the way that he has built you, in the person that he has designed you to be. He doesn't want you to be like me or me to be like you or or me to be like Billy Graham. Those are he's a great you know pastor preacher. I'll never measure up to anything like that. And that's I'm okay with that. Because God didn't make me to be that way. But I don't want to waste what God's given me, you know, and not answer the call to Jesus to to do to to be about what God's purpose and plan is in my life and make a bunch of excuses and miss it. I absolutely want what God has for me and you do too because because you believe. It's just like that song we just saying, He's too good to not believe. And y'all know I'm a weirdo, but I'm just I just I'm built that way and here's how I'm weird. I just can't accept common. It drives me insane. You know, I, I talk to different ones. I drive Willie up a wall. That brother loves me, and I talk to him a lot, and, and him and David, and and I share a lot of stuff with them that I don't share with everybody else. And you got your people, all right? But 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 you know, I I, I just there's just something in me. I, I think it's God's spirit that always churned inside of me, going, "Look for more, look for more." I always I can't go out. Well, you know, when I came here, however long ago it was, we had 20 people, and we've been up to 500, and we've got however many we got, and, and I ought to be pleased with that. I'm like, no, there's got to be more to that, and and, and you know. And this many people get saved, this many people get saved, and you get an opportunity here, you got them like, there's got to be more. There's so much more to Jesus. There's so much more to this life. And if we truly believe God's word, I just, one of the most frustrating things for me as a pastor, I go, how in the world, if you read the Bible and you say you believe it, you believe who he is. You believe who he's, who he's capable or what he's capable of doing. You believe in eternity. You believe in a heaven. You believe in a hell. You believe in the love of Jesus. You believe in the grace of God. You believe in the power of the gospel, the cross, the blood of Jesus. You believe those things, yet you live a common, average, ordinary American life just like everybody else. I go, how can we do that? And be satisfied with just coming to church, hearing a message, hopefully, you know, read the Bible here or there, and be, and be molded into the American church mentality. I'm like, I can't do that. I can't do it as a church member. I can't do it as a pastor. It's crazy. We're only given a short life here. If you live to be a hundred, most of us won't, but if we live to be a hundred in light of eternity, that's just, that's nothing. That's one grain of sand among all the sands of the sea compared to what eternity is. Yet we live for that one grain. 
We invest everything. We hold to everything. We buy into the philosophy of this culture of this is what life is. This is what you have to do. Don't break the mold. Something might happen. You might lose. You might fail. What happens if this? What happens if that? And so we just bring life into something real manageable, real nice and neat. And basically, most people are living for a job, for a little bit of money, for a trip or two a year. And, and you know, everybody wants... You know, retirement, and, and, and that way I can sit at the house, you know, take my meds, and wait to die. Now, I'm not being disrespectful, but that's, that's the American dream. <clears throat> and I want to tell you young people something. You know, I'm going to jump around a little bit today, and if anybody needs to go, y'all can go. But I ain't missing this one, all right? But here's where I'm at. You young people today, that you, that you listen to that, you know, I'm all about working. I think you ought to take care of your family. That's biblical. I think you ought to work. I think you ought to provide. Nothing wrong with the retirement. But if that's what you're living for, and, and you think you're, you're 20 now, and you got the idea, you know, I'm going to work really hard. I hear, I hear, I've heard me in my whole life say, man, I'm going to work really hard while I'm young, while I can. I'm going to give everything I can do, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to invest in that so that when I get old, you know, that way I can just, then I'm going to really enjoy life. When you hit 50, you don't feel like you did when you was 20. You don't have the same desires. You don't have the same wants. You don't have any of that. You understand? Everything's going to change in your life. And here's another thing. If you're one of those men who go, well, you know what? I'm going to work while I'm young and I'm going to give the best for my family. And I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I'm not going to spend time with my kids. I'm not going to spend time with my wife because I want them to have the best. Brother, you're the best. You understand that? God gave you to your family and your family to you, not so that you could get a bunch of money and give them a bunch of stuff, but so that you could invest in their physical and their spiritual well-being. Don't miss that for the lie of the devil. That's a whole different message. But I just had to get that out. So when you look at Jonah, notice what it says in chapter 1, <clears throat> verse 1, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, he found a ship going to Tarshish, and he paid the fare. And he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. I'm going to be in Jonah probably for a little while, a few weeks, and I'm going to stop right there today. And I want to bring out some things to you, and I want you to consider and look at your own life. Jonah was God's man. He was a prophet. He's mentioned in other places in the scripture. But here's what Jonah was. He was the vessel of hope for Nineveh. He was the only vessel of hope for Nineveh. And the word of the Lord came to him. You know, I believe he heard the Lord. So when the prophets heard the Lord, they had a direct line. And I know some of us would go, man, you know, I would do whatever God wants. We just sang that song. Lord, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, God, I will do that. And I know there are people who go, I would do that if I just knew what the Lord wanted. And I'm one of those people, I go, a telephone call would be nice, I think. I think. I don't know if I'd want to be uh, um, accountable for a telephone call from God if you want to know the truth. But a lot of us go, man, if the Lord just... You call me crazy, like, Lord, if you just send me a text. I'm not trying to run. I'm not one of those who I try to run from God's call. I want to run to God. 
But I just want to make sure, Lord, you're, you're directing my path and, and that, and that I'm doing what you ask of me. I want to honor you, Jesus. So I just need you to, to make it clear. Well, here's the, here's the point. The word has come. You know, it says in John chapter one, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God. Verse 14 said, and the word became flesh and blood. Jesus was the word. We have the written unchanging word that goes out to every single one of us. You want to know, you want to know what the call of God is in your life? Read the word. Jesus spoke to his disciples that transcends throughout the generations. And it's the same thing he calls us to do. Follow me. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. That call is not to, well, that's just for preaching. Get out of that mentality. It's not about preaching and standing in a building on a Sunday in a position. I don't care if we mow this thing down. It's not about that. It's about you knowing Jesus, following Jesus, and 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 loving the Lord with all your heart. That's what he's called to do. He said, follow me. Here's another call for everybody. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, do I got to go through your degree for that? Not, not the last time I checked. I don't know a whole lot of the Bible. I don't have to to love my neighbor as myself. He also says in, in Matthew 28, when he's talking to us, you go. Go ye therefore into all the nations. Let that rest for you for a second. You. Not Don Vestal, our missionary to China. Not just Shin Komoda in Japan. Jesus didn't single out and go, you go Africa and you go here. He looked at the whole crowd and said, you go into all the world and make disciples. You go. I know some of you right now wrestling already in your mind. I didn't hear God say that. Yes, you did. Pick it up. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20. Listen to the voice of God. You go. You go into all the nations. I just got a quick question off off the, this is a rabbit. What are you going to do when you stand before the Lord? And he says, didn't I tell you to go? Didn't I give you that command? Wasn't I Lord? I told you to go in all the nations. Most of us won't even go across the street. Amen? That's a good place to start. You know, I, I, you know, I don't want to go to Africa. But if he calls me, I'm going. I can tell you that. <clears throat> but here's the thing. He's already called us. And notice what he says here to when he calls Jonah. He calls and he says in verse 2, Arise. Arise. You know what that means? It means to come away from what you're doing. Come away from common. Come away from what everybody else is doing and answer a higher calling. You remember what Paul said, Philippians chapter 3, he said, I press on towards the mark of what? Of the higher calling in Christ Jesus. I choose not to live in common. I choose not to look like the world. I choose not to invest my life in the things of this world and give myself to it. Why? Because there is a higher calling and I believe something that transcends beyond this world. World, and I believe that I'm going to live forever with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe in the in the message of the gospel. How can I just go about my daily life and look no different from lost people that I work with every day? <clears throat> he says, "Arise up." And so here's the, here's where it gets difficult, right? Not everything God asks us to do is simple. Amen. Usually goes against everything in us to start with. He says, arise and go to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was the capital of Syria, one of the biggest empires of the world at that time. Very, very wicked people. Nineveh was the type of people when they attacked their enemies, 
that they would kill the men and the children, rape the women and kidnap them and take them back. And one of the common things that they did with their enemy, they would take a person, one of their enemies, they would bury him up to their neck in the sand. They would slit a hole in their tongue, tie a piece of leather around it, pull it out of their mouth and stake it down to where they would sit there in the sun until they died. They couldn't swallow, their mouth would drive up, their tongue would swell. And they said, really, most of them mentally lost it before they died. So, God all of a sudden says, Jonah, I want you to go. Now, think about this. We, we, can, we just had to think for just a second. But they had already been attacking Israel prior to this. Who knows what Jonah saw? Who knows what happened to his friends and family? Who knows if he lost somebody like that? Israelites hated the Assyrians and likewise. And now all of a sudden, God said, I want you to go to Nineveh. <clears throat> Let's not make it out like God's like, okay, there's somebody at... Starbucks, I want you to share the gospel. That's a little bit different for us, amen? He said, I want you to go to these people, and I want you to tell them. Now, now I want you to cry to them. Here's the, if I don't, you don't get nothing else, I want you to see Jesus in this. Okay, Jonah did not care for the Ninevites. Jesus did. I want you to think about that. He didn't care for them, but Jesus did. You see... The problem was not with the Ninevites. The problem was with Jonah's heart. You ever mixed up taking, put some dirt in water, a cup or whatever, and you stir it up and all of a sudden it's just like cloudy, muddy water? You ever been fishing in a lake? You know, there's a lake we fish in and it's real clear, but, but there's a creek that runs into it. So when it rains, all that turns to muddy water and, and you go and you don't catch nothing. Amen? Now, <laughs> you go, Nate. But here's the thing, you let it set for a couple of days, and what happens? It clears up. Why? Because of the, the, the sand sinks to the bottom. You stir the cup up, let it sit on the counter for a little bit. All the, all, the, all the heavy stuff sinks to the bottom. You see, it's the same way with our heart. Grace and mercy had settled to the bottom. And the longer that you just let it sit with no agitation, the more it sinks. In our life, I think at the point in time of our salvation... That mercy and grace stirs us up, means something to us. We recognize the love of Jesus. If you've been saved, hopefully you were saved because you heard the message of the greatest love ever demonstrated when Jesus went to the cross to die for wicked people. We think about the Ninevites. Don't, don't, I want you to picture yourself because I'm just as wicked as them. I ain't never you know, pulled nobody's tongue out, but I ain't saying I wouldn't have back then. Amen. Now, come on. Oh, all I ever did was just miss church one Sunday. You self-righteous sucker. You know what happens here? When, what happens when grace and mercy, I'm going to get you right now on that. I just set you up. When grace and mercy sinks to the bottom, self-righteousness rise to the top. That's right. And there's a lot of people probably sitting in this building today that at one point in time, the message of the gospel so captured your heart that you just couldn't contain it. And now you've sat for so long in disobedience to the call of God in your life that it's all settled down and your self-righteousness has risen to the top. And all you do is look and go, I'm just as good as everybody in this church and nobody else is going. Why should I? Look at those, look at those people out there. We hear it all the time. Oh my gosh. The worst people in the world. And, I, you know, I ain't for the sin. Y'all already know that. But this homosexual agenda. And then we got all these drug people everywhere. They're taking over Palestine. Taking, we don't got to go to Dallas or Houston. They're everywhere here. People are selling it and eating it. You know, I don't know what all they're taking it. 
And then now we've, we, look on the, we look on the news and like there's people in Palestine killing people. You know, we were in a crowd yesterday, me and Willie and David, full of child molesters, murderers, rapists. Anything that you can come up with, those men had done. And I was in good company. You understand that? It took the same blood, the same sacrifice, the same mercy and grace that God, that it takes to save them, it took that to save this wicked person. You know, but some of us need a little stirring in our life. And we'll get on with it later, but that's what God's doing with Jonah. You see, he knew the heart of God, but he didn't exercise that himself. Look real quick in chapter 4. I want to give you this, just one verse. Jonah knew the heart of God. A lot of us know the Bible. We know the word. We know the heart of God. We know we're supposed to love. We know we're supposed to go. Jonah starts off here in chapter 4. Let me find my place. In verse 1 and 2. This is after that he ended up going to Nineveh. He preached. The people repented. And in verse 1 it says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. You ever seen... I'll be very careful I say You ever seen one of them long-time churchgoers when all of a sudden a heathen shows up in the church and gets saved and starts worshiping how mad they can get? If you hadn't, be a a Baptist pastor for a little while. I know that stone. So he prayed to the Lord. And notice what he says. Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, I fled. Now you know why he's running. Why did he run? I fled for Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and a merciful God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Did y'all get that? Did you Ninevites hear that this morning? He said, Jonah said, I know the love of God. I know the mercy of God. I know, God, I know, I know you will forgive people that I would never even give a thought to. You love, the Bible said, you take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. I knew you would, I knew if I went and I preached the gospel that you would forgive those people if they would turn to you. That right there gives me great hope. Amen. Man, I'm like, God, you're awesome. You know, here's the thing. God saw the great wickedness of the people. He didn't want to send fire. He didn't want to send a plague. He didn't want to pour out wrath. He wanted to send Jonah. God looks at America and he sees what the wickedness going on in the Washington, you know, in D.C. He sees the, the, the LGBT, one, two, three, all that stuff, community. He sees all the stuff they're stirring up. He sees the filthiness in Hollywood. He sees the filthiness in his church. He sees the hypocrisy. He sees people who don't care. People who never break the word open, not one time in a month. Just as wicked as that other stuff I talked about. He sees all of that stuff. You know, and here's where I'm at. I see some of that stuff and I'm like, God, I can't wait to see you just give them what they deserve. I know y'all don't do that. You ain't never been driving down the road on a Monday or after you leave this place. Somebody's on their phone, swerve over you. One of these days, one of these days you're going to get yours. You know what? God don't think that way. God looks at all that and he says, you know what? I don't want to send fire. I don't want to send wrath. I want to send you. I want to say, Lord, wait a second. You tell me you're not mad. Remember what he told it was James and John when the when the when the uh, Samaritans rejected Jesus. They was mocking Jesus. They was saying things. And James and John said, "You want us to call down fire from heaven?" He said, "Hold on a second. I'm not. That's not my sphere. I'm not here to pour out wrath. I'm here to pour out grace." 
So when you got those people, you know, Jonah was a vessel of hope to the Ninevites. You're a vessel of hope to, to who? Who's God called you to? Who are the people you don't want to go to? Who are the people that you work with every day that just gets to your crawl? Who are the people that you are in the home with? The people you go, I would, I just, I'd rather you just leave. People in your neighborhood. How many of you know people two houses down from you, their name, and you know them because you went and just shown them the love of Jesus? That's, you're the vessel of hope. And if you ever watch the show, one of my favorite shows, and I watch it on, what's that thing we got? Clearplay. So don't go rent and go, wow, you watch this show? I watch it on Clearplay, okay? Takes out all the bad stuff. It's called The Guardian. It's a Kevin Costner movie. Y'all seen that? It's when he's in the uh, Coast Guard, and he goes out. One part of the movie that just stands out to me. He's talking there. There's a bad storm going on. Ship's going down. Helicopter don't have a whole lot of gas in it. And, and he comes to his commander, and his commander's like, I'm not going to let you go out. I'm not going to let you go out. And he said, Bill, if I don't go out, they die. You understand? Same thing with us. I'll argue this all day long with anybody who wants to argue it biblically, okay? There are people that if you do not go, they're going to perish. You understand? Well, wait a second. Don't, let's not get into all the theological crap. It's very clear. The Bible says, how can they call on, Romans chapter 10, who they do not believe, and how can they believe without hearing? How can they hear without a preacher? I'm not talking about preacher position. I'm talking about preachers. Those who proclaim the gospel. You're surrounded by people, listen to me, that if you don't go, they're going to perish. The Bible talks about Ezekiel. You fail to warn a wicked man of his wicked ways, his sin rests upon you. That's what it says. I told you it's going to be a doozy, didn't I? All right? But I just want you to realize this. I just want us to quit making excuses. I just want us to quit going, you know, that sounds great in church, and I'm, I'm not stepping on your toes. I don't want you to leave feeling guilty today. I want you to leave with a fire in your soul that leads to a, a word out of your mouth, an action of love for you, that we can do what God's called us to do as a church, or let's shut the doors and I'll go somewhere else. That's where I'm at. Because we've been making excuses as long as I've been alive, probably before that. 95% of the people sitting in the church has never shared the gospel with anybody, yet we say it's transformed our lives. And we come up with every reason why we should live in comfort and avoid the call of God in our life. You see, the problem's not theological. It's not educational. It's not the lack of opportunity. It is our lack of love. Because here's the thing. The love of Jesus, when you're saved, the Bible says you receive the Holy Spirit. And it says in Romans chapter 5, and the love of God is poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Everybody wants to talk about the gifts? I can tell you a gift every child of God has, love. The love of Jesus. Now, you think about this. So what kind of love is that? It's a, it's a love that will sacrifice everything. Swallow this, all right? Swallow it. It's a love that will sacrifice anything to reach lost people. It's a love that will give all to reach lost people. It's a love that will go to the end of the earth. It's a love that will endure suffering and persecution. It's a love that will forgive all to reach all. And everybody's called to show that love. Everybody.
one of us. Don't make an excuse. Don't put it off on somebody else. You see, here's the thing. I haven't allowed love to do that work in me. And I've allowed that to settle to the bottom in my life. You know, sometimes, here's, here's where I'm at. Sometimes I can let grace and mercy settle to the bottom. Ministry rise to the top. As long as I'm getting messages together and I'm preaching to you. And everybody's good and we all got hope. And we all good and we do our Sunday thing and all that. All of a sudden you forget what you ever got saved for. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. You can stay where you're at. I'm just going to read this real quick. I'm almost done. If y'all stick with me, if anybody needs to go, you're not going to offend me. I'll probably offend you first. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's all about love, okay? This is something I want you to wrestle with. I want you to wrestle with it. For all, for, let's just put everybody in a boat here. For everybody who comes every Sunday and they preach. They get up on the stage and they sing. You come out and you sit and you listen and you sing and you pray and you teach and you work with kids and, and you do all of that stuff. Listen to this verse. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and I do not have love, I become sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and I understand all mysteries, all knowledge, though I have faith so that I could remove mountains, but I have not love, listen to this right here, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, though I give my body to be burned, but I don't have love, profits me nothing. I want you to wrestle with that because I'll just be honest with you. I'm wrestling with that. I've wrestled with that for two weeks. That's the message I was going to preach to you this morning. I just can't put it together because I keep looking at my heart and I keep going, God, I don't love like that if I'm honest. I don't. I, love, I, have, I have the love of Jesus. And I do love y'all. I hope y'all know that. But I look at the sacrifice that Jesus made and he keeps asking me, are you willing to do anything? Are you willing to lose everything? Are you willing to go anywhere? You know, and our, my quick response is, Lord, you know, not really. Yeah, I'm willing to go to Tarshish. I just keep looking at that. And isn't it easy? Maybe I'm just the only one in the boat, but isn't it easy to go, you know, Lord, that's for those missionary folks. That's for them, that's for them freaky, out of, you know, just out of whack Christians who just like, they'll just do whatever and they'll just go. You know who they are? They're the ones who see the glory of God. They're the ones who God uses to transform a nation. They're the ones who, that, that God uses to bring hope. They're the ones we're reading about in the books. How come we aren't in the books? How come nobody's writing about us? How about how come nobody's quoting anything about anybody at Cedar Creek? And the Lord just keeps bringing back, and He's like, well, I'm like Lord, I don't have opportunities. Like, oh, you have opportunity. You have plenty of opportunity. But what you lack is love. You don't have the love. You're not willing at this point to surrender your heart to me and go, I'm going to trust you for everything, no matter what. And I'm wrestling with that, and I pray that you'll wrestle with that. Don't just put it up. Just be honest with God. Because here's the thing. Jonah didn't want to hear it. Some of you this morning don't want to hear it. Amen. <coughs> but when it comes to difficult realities of the heart, God's word can kind of be like buckwheat pancakes. If you don't know what that is, like what? It's not a Saturday Night Live thing, okay? Buckwheat pancakes is a real thing. I'll tell you the story. When we was kids, we went to my daddy's already laughing. Mom and daddy took us. We went up to Branson. 
And uh, we was going to this breakfast place. We was hungry that morning, and uh, we got there. My dad looked at the at the menu, and he's like, "Man, I got buckwheat pancakes." You know, we was, we was way younger. And uh, look, said, "What is that?" He said, "Oh man, when I had when I was a kid, that's the best." pancake you can eat. He said, I'm telling y'all, the best pancake you can eat is amazing. Uh, we're getting pumped up for the buckwheats, right? He's like, everybody ordered buckwheat pancakes. Like, yeah, it was a big deal. So the way it just comes out, we all order it. She brings us a pancake. I'm telling you, it was like trying to swallow that carpet. <laughs> I've never in my life chewed and drank so much just to choke something down. The driest I don't know if it was just theirs, but that was the hardest thing to swallow. If you've ever taken like a spoonful of cinnamon and try, try it when you go home. Take a spoonful of cinnamon, put it in your mouth, try to swallow it. Almost impossible. There are some things in God's word that are very difficult to swallow. But listen to me. If you swallow them, it becomes who you are. It changes everything in your life. So he fled to Tarshish. This is my last page. He fled to Tarshish. Say, so where was Tarshish? The far opposite direction. You know, here's the thing. Uh, Nineveh was that way. He went as far as he could possibly go. And notice he wasn't running just from the call. He wanted to be out of the presence of the Lord. I don't want to hear God's voice anymore. Some of you, when you leave here on Sunday mornings, you are headed to Tarshish. God speaks to you. Not that you come into God's presence, but you do come here like hopefully with an open mind or to go, I'm really kind of wondering what God has to say for me. And then God says it, you're like, I'm kind of headed out of here. And you head out as far away from what God's dealing with you about as you can possibly go. Where do you flee to? Some of us flee to our work. Some of us flee to responsibilities. Some of us flee to the old crowd. Some of us flee to the bag of Baptist excuses. Some of us flee to the self-righteousness of other people. They're not going. Maybe God didn't tell them to go where he's telling you to go. You know, here's the thing about Jonah. This wasn't a church setting. There was no preacher at the end who went, All right, is there anybody here God's calling to go to Nineveh? Come up and let's make a statement. It was just Jonas and, uh, Jonah and the Lord. That's what your life and your salvation and your judgment and your calling. It's not about, what does my wife think about this? You might want to involve her if you're going to Africa. But it's not about that. It's not about, you know what? God's really dealing with me this morning, so I'm going to go up front of church and I'm going to rededicate my life. I can never, I will never forget. When I was at Denson Springs, one Sunday I preached a message kind of like this. One man in the back took off. He come up to the front and he's like, Brother Randall, God just spoke to me. I need to rededicate my life to the Lord. I'm going to live for Jesus. I'm going to live for the Lord. I'm going to give everything to the Lord. Like we prayed together. You want to announce to the church today. I'm going to rededicate my life. Everybody even come around, shook his hand, hugged his neck. He was one of them kind of people. Everybody's kind of wigged out. I'm thinking, wow, this is awesome. We had church that night. He didn't even come back. Well, so this is what rededication looks like. So I'd rather you stay in the back. I would rather, rather than you come up here and everybody hug your neck, shake your hand, and you not come back tonight. I'd rather it just be you and Jesus back there talking. Because your calling is not about me or announcing it to everybody else. You can do your calling without telling anybody else. It's about you and the Lord. But here's the thing. When you desire to go, you know what? 
I, I just I just don't want that in my life, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do that. And you start what you're doing is like I just want to get out of the presence of the Lord. You're walking right into the presence of the enemy who's out to destroy you. You understand that? The devil's like, come on, I'll take you. You don't want to follow Jesus? Follow me. I got a place I want to lead you. I got a place I want to, you know, dads, when you look at God's word, you're like, this is what it says about being a dad. This is what it says about being a husband. This is what it says about being a wife. I don't want to hear that. So I'm just going to go right out of this church, out of the presence of the Lord, and I'm going to live my life. And the devil's like, come on. I got a place I want to lead your marriage. I got a place I want to lead your family. I got a place I want to take your kids to. If you don't want to take them into the presence of the Lord, bring them to me. He'll take everybody. And I want to finish with this. Man, we're at a time in history where we are at a, remember what Jeremy preached? Anybody? A pivotal moment. Never forget that. When he preached that message, he said, there are times in your life that are a pivotal moment, one way or the other. We're in a place in our nation where we are at a pivotal moment, a time of God's judgment. Whether or not the Lord comes back, understand, we are already under God's judgment in this country. Judgment must first begin at the house of God is what it says. And if we're under God's judgment and we're going to see a whole lot more of it, here's the question I have. Do you realize what unbelievers are facing possibly very soon? Do you realize that? Those people that you're like, well, I don't want them to feel uncomfortable. Hell's going to be really uncomfortable. I don't, I don't know what, you know, I don't want to, I don't want them to think things about me. What are they going to think in the day of judgment when you're standing there looking at them eye to eye, face to face in a crowd and they see you standing in one crowd and they're in a totally different crowd. You're in the Jesus crowd. They're in the lost crowd. They spent time with you. They lived with you. They were born of you. They were married to you. And all of a sudden you're looking at them. They're like, what? What? Is this? You never just sat down and talked to me about it. Figured you at least cared enough to confront me about it. You just worried about losing your job. Well, what about the four hundred one k now? What about you? Want, I wanted to drive the eighty thousand dollar truck instead of the eight thousand dollar truck. Man, let's drop the hammer this morning and get real. Well. Like, well. Is it wrong that I have an $80,000 truck? That's between you and the Lord. But what I am saying is, if your $80,000 truck keeps you from sharing the gospel with people and the people are dying and going to hell so you can drive an $80,000 truck, you answer me, is it wrong? I told you. And here's the thing. If you've ever received grace and mercy, you're a vessel of grace and mercy. You're a carrier of the gospel. Oh, you might not share it. You're carrying it. Think about that. What would, what would it be like? I know you've probably heard illustrations like this before. I got five minutes, so I'm done. What would it be like if everybody in here, if COVID was real? Anyhow, <laughs> if there was a disease that was actually killing everybody, not the medicine the government was giving them, what if there was a disease that was killing everybody? And you walked in here on Sunday, like, I love my man, I love my church family. I love my church family. I do, I love y'all. What if I carried the antidote and I knew I had it? And I come in like Chad's like, oh, let me go along. Man, you know, Chad might think I'm weird if I tell him I got the antidote. 
You know, that might hurt my and Chad's friendship. Chad, I'm praying for you. And I, you know, I look over at him, other Chad. Chad and Chad both got it. He's like, oh, I ain't got long. And then I go and visit, you know, Brother Don in the hospital. That's where he'd be. Brother Don, you know, I, and I got, you know, I got the antidote in my pocket. I got it right here. I, you know, I could, he might not want it, but I could at least go, you know, Brother Don, I just want you to know, I got something that'll heal you. He might go, I don't want that. No, him, he probably would. I don't need that. Okay, I just, I just want you to know I love you, and I just want to let you know I got the antidote if you want it. That's how easy it is to share the gospel. How hard is that? How hard is it to love somebody? What if Chad went, that's stupid. I'm like, no, dying is stupid. This is not stupid. What would it be? How, which, which is more wicked? Somebody who will hurt a child or somebody who will let their best friend die and go to hell? Here's what I want you to hear again. Bill, if I don't go, they die. If you don't go, they perish. If you're not willing to make yourself a fool, a lot of people are going to die and go to hell. So will they perish without ever having been confronted? How many people, how many people, I'm not trying to appeal to your emotions. I just want you to think about reality. How many people will stand at the great white throne of judgment? I got somebody in my mind. How many people will stand there that you knew? We won't even talk about strangers, people that you knew. And they're going to be cast into the lake of fire. And you never confronted them. That day you'll confront them. They'll confront you. That day they're going to confront you. Why didn't you say something? Why didn't you get over your pride? Why didn't you care enough to take the time? Oh, you invited me to church. I didn't care about church. I never heard about this Jesus thing. What exactly does the cross mean to you? You know, I know it's a tough message. You ought to wrestle with it for two weeks. And I'm going to wrestle with it a whole lot longer. But you know, me and Willie had a talk last night, and I got a lot of stuff going on in my life. And I, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know what my future has in it. I don't know what God's going to do. I really got a lot going on in my, in my heart and stuff, and I was asking him to pray about it. This is what I come to this morning. Uh, Lord, I do believe your word. I know how good God is. I know the life-changing power of the gospel. I believe in eternity. I believe it's possible we could be there very soon. I mean, we could be there today. But this is what I know. I can't die a hope without knowing that I didn't give my all. How can we stand before the Lord and Him go, welcome I'm not saying your heaven or hell depends upon it. I don't want to stand before the Lord and go, you knew what I could do. You knew the power of the gospel. You knew my love. You knew all these things. And you didn't give your all? You'd rather have a boat? You'd rather go to your job? You'd rather take trips to Florida? Nothing wrong with those things, but I just got to go. In my heart, it's between me and the Lord. I'm just sharing this with you. I should pray this morning to the Lord, I will go anywhere. I will try to do anything. I just need your love in my heart and courage and a boldness to go. I'll give a flip how I live, 
what I live in, what I look like, or what anybody thinks, Jesus. When I stand before the Lord, I would lose everything I got and hear him go, you gave it all. You gave it all. Will you stand this morning with your head bowed and your eyes closed?